What time is it? 8 30. <laughs> Welcome to this latest edition, the conference finals edition of the Livingston Experience, and I'm joined once again by Darren Hill, and Darren, I've got to take you the task straight away, because you sent me a message earlier uh, this evening, which was not on point for the Livingston Experience, where you suggested that uh, this year's NBA champion would be the worst champion ever. Uh, no doubt a little bit bummed from the Bucks loss today, but that's a very anti-Livingston take, Daz, I have to tell you. Well, there, I, there will be a champion, which we will, you know, we will celebrate or at least one tiny little pockets of NBA fans will celebrate because it's three small markets, apparently, and the Clippers left. But, um, oh, come on, Daz. Like, it's not very Livingston, but I, I told you I was waving the white towel, you know, like, like flying the flag in the Brooklyn series. And I think that felt like we climbed like the whole league climbed the mountain with the Bucks beating Brooklyn and, you know, not letting the evil empire who just cobbled together the three stars and done no work as a franchise, we didn't let them win. So I think that the whole league is kind of like just pleased that, you know, it didn't end with a, a James Harden title, Daz. And the rest of this, yeah, sort of well, feels like being like, <laughs> You're right. I mean, that game seven felt like the finals. And you thought, whoever wins this is going to win the title. And then today we come out games one of the Eastern Conference Finals and Trey Young's throwing ball, passes behind the back, alley-oops off the backboard, half-court alley-oops, pulling up from the logo. And it's just like doing little, little shimmies before he hits open threes. And you're just like, what? Did someone not tell the Hawks this is the Eastern Conference Finals? Like, you yeah. can't do that stuff. Yeah. And then, no, no, they do that stuff. They stole game one from the Bucks. On the Bucks home court, and of course they did. The Bucks were just shell. Well, they were a little bit of shell shock, but they were also well. I mean, I'll, I'll get your quick take on the game. I saw more of the game than you did, but I mean, what what was your yeah. takeaway from from game one from what you saw? Well, but but so what I saw was just um, more Bucks offensive stagnation. I just kind of stand around pitter-patter with a couple of, you know, um, a couple of actions at the top and then just let whomever's the first person to shoot a three-pointer, mm. right? It just looked so, it just looked unstructured and undisciplined. And um, if it weren't for Drew Holiday having an absolute offensive explosion, I think they would have been blown out of the building. But so it just looked, it just didn't look intense, Daz, which in many parts, I expected after a grueling, I mean grueling series against Brooklyn. Um, and I say that with all respect to Atlanta defeating Philly when, let's be honest, right? The Bucks and Brooklyn went toe-to-toe, right? Um, Philadelphia just kind of, <laughs> they kind of rolled over, right? So it's like the freer and looser Atlanta played against Philly, the more nervous uh, Philly got. And so I just sort of felt like this game one was ripe. The energy levels were just ripe for the Bucks to go, whew, take a breath, you know, see what we can muster, uh, see if we can pull something, pull some energy out. And Atlanta's playing with house money. So I felt the energy coming into this game was going to be lopsided. And um, that being said, the talent gap is so severe. You just shouldn't. Just, just shouldn't well, have games it, it like felt this at like home. a game today, and I said this to you right from the start, where the Bucks were almost. I mean, it seemed to me their tactic was let Trey get his right. If Trey scores sixty, we're not that worried about it. We just want to stop anyone else from scoring twenty. And what killed them today was John Collins shot eleven for sixteen. He was twenty three points, and that's sort of what got them over the hump because it, he was just. I mean, Trey was just taking Drew Holiday into the pick and roll. And as soon as Drew would get picked, on the, there was no help defense. They just dropped back to the rim and said, all right, Trey, do what you want. Shoot a three, shoot a floater, drive in, kick. Like, it was just stunning. This is the series where PJ is going to be less useful. Like, PJ is maybe, I mean, I'd have to think a little bit harder, but 
maybe the best one-on-one defender against Kevin Durant in the whole league. You know, maybe that's, you know what I mean? Like he, mm. top three against KD, let's put it that way. Him perhaps peak, peak, peak Draymond. If he was locked in peak, peak, peak Kawhi, but PJ Tucker out on the perimeter against Trey, not so useful. Right. So this happens to be the series where you know, Dante DiVincenzo would be quite useful against the, you know, the water bug, uh, Trey young. That's also no excuse. Missing Dante DiVincenzo is not the reason they lose games like this, but what I what I did see in the quarter and a half I watched live, Daz, was I saw the Atlanta Hawks do Atlanta Hawks things like they always do, play the exact same way every time in highly predictable ways where it's extremely heliocentric. You know exactly what's going to happen. You know how Capella's going to run to the rim. You know how he's going to crash. You know, he and Collins crash the offensive boards. Like they did all the things. And Bogdanovich, something must be wrong with him because he looked awful. Mm. Um, so I'm like... Atlanta didn't do anything like they just played. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I mean like, you, did you see something I didn't, but it looked like two teams who just, the Bucks played down a level. Atlanta played exactly how they did. And neither team could throw it in the ocean. Um, eight for 32 for the Hawks and eight for 36 for the Bucks. eight for 36 at home, three point shooting Daz. That's probably well, going to lose you a game. Yeah, uh, look, the Bucks shot shot terribly. I mean, Middleton was out of nine from three. Uh, he couldn't throw it in the ocean. The the Hawks were slightly better, but not not by much. Uh, and because they were giving Trey whatever he wanted, he didn't have to shoot a high volume of threes. So they were basically just letting him go into the into the lane. And yeah. um, I think Kenny Smith said after the game, he said he better check his shoes because he's going to have green paint on them because that's where he lived all night. And it was just the ease at which they allowed him to get the points. Like, he didn't have to work for his offense. And I think partly more importantly, he didn't have to work on the defensive end. Like, even though Drew had a really good game, it was like, like you said, it was just the first option and we're going to take the shot. And it really, it just played into the Hawks' hands because that's how the Hawks wanted to play. You know, they were quite happy with the way the game was going for the most part. And I think you've got to make Trey work. Make him chase Drew Holiday around screens. And that's why I said to you, you know, Bucks fans' head will probably explode when I say this. But I think Jeff Teague needs to play minutes in this series because at least he can be going around running Trey through some screens and say, look, let's get Trey Young to chase this guy for a few minutes at a time and actually work or bring Forbes, chase him through screens, don't let him get open. They're the sort of players that would be key, I think, for the Bucks in this series. You just answered the question, which I go, you remember I told you, um, did Bud, did coach Bud get left off? Did he get off the hook? Did he get let off the hook and be given too much credit for starting PJ Tucker against Brooklyn? Cause I, what if Dante DiVincenzo is healthy? Does he still start PJ Tucker? I, I don't think so. I don't think he does. I don't, I don't think he, I think he, I think he starts Dante. I think PJ gets big minutes, but I still think he starts Dante. And I'm looking at the Atlanta series, and what's he done? Okay, well, now Bud's just decided P.J. Tucker's the starter. What's he done? He starts P.J. Tucker. Like, but if you're, but why wouldn't you start someone like Bryn Forbes? And from the get-go, from the tip, right, you got the, you got the guy running and running and running and running and running. Why? Because he's, he's going to outrun, outchase, outwork um, the slow-footed Bogdanovich, or you put Trey Young on Bryn Forbes and exhaust him. That's what I don't understand, Daz, is why is he locked in starting P.J. Tucker, who kind of has nobody to defend, right? John Collins stays in the post and shoots, you know, face-up 14-footers, right? What's he going to do on Capella? But then then he starts Lopez, so you have to start Lopez on Capella. I just don't – I don't get it. Was he got P.J. Tucker defending Kevin Herter, Daz? Is that is that the strategy? Well, I was watching P.J. today, and he doesn't have a matchup. He just sort of stands doesn't have a matchup. at both ends. We've nothing to do, and just all Atlanta does is dance around the perimeter and have with drag screens and double screens and flares at the top. It's all they do. Well, like even they dance Lopez around that three point line. I can't line. see a spot for him in this series, Capella or no Capella. I mean, he took one rebound today, seven points, one rebound, twenty minutes. 
Like just a complete another passenger. He got the one rebound though, Daz. You know, his team, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, people are, are criticising Bobby Portis because he was one of the guys that was consistently dropping back uh, when he was out there. But it was like that that was what the coach told him to do. So did you catch the play where Trey did the shimmy before he hit the three? I did, yeah. yeah. It was third quarter. Giannis it's was not funny. impressed. Um, <laughs> In, yeah. in the ensuing timeout, um, he did his own shimmy. For Trey the does it. Trey's um, Trey saps the will for all humans to live when he cheats on offense and does the shit and they reward it. Like he's he's James Harden, almost even worse than James Harden with his worse. fucking antics. It's 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 absolutely despicable. That being said, his he's not like malicious when he does his little shimmy or his. He just thinks he's Steph Curry, right? He just tries to thinks he's cute, and it, so I. I if the Bucks got bothered by that, boy, they are a fucking thin-skinned bunch all of a sudden where you can go toe-to-toe with dirty-ass Blake Griffin and well, you know, I think against Giannis's, James Harden. Yannis' point in the timeout when he did the shimmy himself was like, don't let these guys come on our home court and disrespect us. Oh, okay, good. You know, yeah, talking to his he own. He was upset at, at Trey or good. anything. He was upset at his own time. But, so late on in the game, Daz, the Bucks were up. the Bucks were up seven in this one with four minutes to go. And then uh, some sure questionable, some questionable. Well, there was there was an end one on Trey, which he he initiated the contact as usual, and it sort of. I saw that. Yeah, I, I did see a few of these um, things where they they took a seven point lead and cut it to one on a couple of completely unbearable calls. I do remember that. Mm. Yeah. And then it was um, it, it was offensive boards in the end. Like the, the Hawks couldn't score, but they kept getting the offensive rebound. And I actually said to you with four minutes to go, I said, oh, actually, it be just about five minutes to go. I said, Trey's going to shoot him out of this game because you could tell the, the the Bucks were just daring him to shoot and he's taking some pretty ill-advised shots. But they kept getting the rebounds and eventually he drove, he kicked it out to John Collins in the corner. Collins makes the shot. Uh, they end up going up one and then the Bucks ran a play. Pat Connaughton got a wide-open look, which he wanted no part of, Daz. I haven't seen a, a potential game winner miss by so far since Deliver Dover was on the Cavs, uh, taking potential game winners for them uh, back in the day. So that it was an air ball by probably a foot, it looked like. Um, and that was the end of the game. They they basically fouled Trey. Mids had a shot. Middleton had a shot uh, on the buzzer, which missed badly as well. So, uh, And everything today was short and wide for Middleton. He was just, the GPS was way, way off. Him. Mm. So if you're mm. looking at positives, look, my general feeling is, is I still think the Bucks. Are, are, if you're the favourites in the series, I don't get too stressed about losing game one. I wouldn't be, um, I, I'd be still concerned about the coaching. I, Bud's just, to, to allow them to run the same play for 48 minutes today and make no adjustments and just allow the game to play out the way it did was, it, it, it was a variation on a theme for Buds, put it that way, uh, so far. So that's still a bit of a concern to me. But I still think the talent will will rise to the top. Well, he's dramatically changed his rotation compared to Brooklyn. But I just I think the starting lineup is the real is the real major question mark. It's like why isn't Giannis at the five? Right, to play Giannis at the five with PJ next to you, um, unless you just don't like the PJ Tucker John Collins matchup, that could be well. I that think could be too, the issue. Though, you've got to show Trey Young some different looks, right? You can't just show him the same look all game. And it wasn't working from the first quarter anyway. So why are you continuing to show him the same look? You know, show, do a box and one for a few plays. Go into a zone yeah. for a few plays. For yeah. sakes. Do something different to make him have to do something different himself when he's picking your part. The way That's just does. not how Bud's wired, is it? That's just not how he's wired. No, it's just he's just not going to make in game. This has been his criticism forever. It's like he might make rotation changes. Just rarely see these really in game, real tactical differences. It's just they're not. They're not. Well, I'll make a prediction. I think they're going to do the same thing in game two. Uh, and look, you know, a few shots go differently. A few calls go differently. A couple of bands of the ball. Middleton shoots better today, and they win the game. But. You know, I think you are playing with fire by essentially just saying we're happy if if Trey Young averages over forty in this series, we'll live with that. We're just going to try and stay home on the other shooters and make sure no one else gets away from us. You're playing a dangerous game, I think. Once you start doing that, particularly yeah. with the way yeah. some of these guys can shot make uh, in today's league, because 
you know, Herther can come out and, and, and get 27 as he showed in Game 7 against Philly. You've got Collins, who was big today. Gallinari looks great. I agree with you on Bogdanovich. Doesn't look quite right for whatever reason. But uh, there's, there's, there's no shortage of weapons what, in Atlanta. What stuns me is... What... What stuns me about this is you have such dramatic advantages, just dramatic size and and experience advantages. And he went and took it to Miami, right? Game one, I think it was game one in Miami. Brooke had like 23 and 10, pounded the paint, right? It was like 11 for 11 for 15 from the floor or something like that. It was just pounded. And I go, what happens in this game, Daz? The Bucks, what, they drew, they shot 14 free throws? So the refs were letting them play. Clearly, they're letting them play. What do the Bucks do? Decide they want to do, be jump shooters all the game. You've got refs who are calling it like this. And what are you going to do? You play even softer against a very soft team as it is in Atlanta. Blows my mind. Like, just why you wouldn't have a game plan to pound this team from the inside out just blows my mind. I wonder like, if it's just... their game planning was for Philly. I mean, I wonder if they've been coming into this, they're thinking, <laughs> Miami, Brooklyn, Philly. Where's Joel? That's, and Atlanta's not even on the radar. And then you get Atlanta and you say, look, we'll figure it out as we go, for goodness sakes. Like, you know, this team's not on the same you know, on the same level as us. And, and you know, because it was just, as I said, the game plan was like. all wrong yeah. today. And it felt low intensity. It felt, how you get so up for Kevin Durant and James Harden, get not up at all to crush a team you should crush, just... It kind of says a lot about the Bucks season, though. They played down to their competition a lot this year, but they were doing that under the guise of you know they well, were tinkering and too, experimenting. Stylistically, they play to their to their opponent, and we saw that a little bit in the last series where they went ISO heavy in some of those games. And you're like, why are you trying to beat Brooklyn at their own game? Like, play your game. And it was the same today. It was like I said to you, yeah. it was like a two v seven first round matchup where the seven seed comes in a bit frisky, and you go, oh well, look. Even if the two seed drops it, who cares? Yeah. That's how it felt today. And it's like this is the Eastern Conference Finals. Like this is not a not a. The crowd seed. sounded dead too. Like they just, I think there was just no. I think the crowd is tired too, Daz. We're so exhausted from Brooklyn. It's, it's just a, uh, yeah. I don't know. I'm a Bucks fan, and it still doesn't feel like the Eastern Conference Finals. It really doesn't. Well, it didn't in the way that the Hawks were playing. It was like, this can't possibly be. And I remember, Nothing, yeah. I said to you, it, it reminded me of Spurs Warriors. It always comes back to the Spurs for me, you know. In in 2013, when the Warriors came in and took, uh, sorry, lost game one, but the Spurs come back from 20 down and then smashed the Spurs in game two. And you're sitting there going, playoffs, this is not supposed to be playoff basketball. And the Spurs looked very much the same. Yeah. They were like, just not ready for the game that they got you know, and not ready for the opponent that they're facing. Um, and, and eventually the Spurs made adjustments in that series of one and in six. And I expect the Bucks to do the same. But that's how it felt today. Just they weren't ready for the opponent. They weren't ready for the type of game that it was. And then they basically just played the Hawks at their own game. And, and you know, if you're going to get in the shootout with a team like the Hawks, where it's loose basketball like that, you, you, you know, the Hawks... I still think the Bucks will probably win the series if you play it like that. But the Hawks give it—you give the Hawks a chance. I think Philly felt the same way. <laughs> Psycho, you are absolutely playing with fire. Like, how do you not take an Eastern Conference Finals game seriously? Are they they resting in the game? I don't know, Daz. It's hard to get inside their heads, but um, well, there was troubling a bit start of intensity, yeah. Yeah. like midway through the fourth quarter where they, it seemed like Giannis thought, holy shit, we could lose this. I'm going to take it over for a bit. Got them the seven-point lead. And then, you know, a, a confluence of factors um, worked against the Bucks. But it was like, what, why are the Hawks even in the game at this point? You know, Giannis was the one that said, don't play with your food in round one. Well, they, they've got to have the same sort of mentality in this one. But it's just like, it, it's just like they relaxed because we've got the Hawks. That's how it felt sort of, you know, on a macro level, watching it today. And the Hawks yeah, are good enough. I yeah. mean, Trey Young is good enough to take advantage. And I, I still can't get over some of the plays he was making today in an Eastern Conference Finals. Like, yeah, you're throwing it off the backboard for Elliot <laughs> Dunks in the Eastern Conference Well, he's finals. having fun, if nothing else. <laughs> and what about the shimmy? 
I, that Jimmy, I was like, before he, he shot the ball, shot. yeah, yeah, that was something. That was something. But I, you know, as much as I praise him in Medicine Square Garden, I got to do the same thing here. He's just kind of coming into your house and you know owning it. So like, you know, good for you, man. If I was a Hawks fan, you'd be you'd be loving that stuff, man. Well, so, even I mean, yeah. let's let's look back a little bit on that game seven. I mean, even in game seven in in Philly. Like he shot the ball poorly, but he completely controlled every aspect of that game and kept the Hawks in the game with the assists and just keeping guys involved. I mean, th- there's a little bit of Chris Paul in his game. There's sort of obviously a little bit of Steph Curry. I think there's there's things. There's a little bit of James Harden. I mean, it's also the sprinkle. A little bit of Reggie one. Miller swagger. Yeah, a little bit of Reggie Miller's attitude. It's like. You know, they've gone into a lab and created this player that we just haven't seen a player like this before. Um, in my view, I, I can't remember seeing a player with all these different elements to his game. Uh, and it was stunning to me just how effective he was in that Game 7 against Philly, despite shooting, what was it, I think, in the end, 5 of 23 from the field. But even though he was shooting badly, you, it, you didn't feel like it was hurting them. Uh, because he was he was doing so much else when he when he wasn't shooting, you know, getting Herder involved, etc. Um, in that game, and of course, you know, the the Philly meltdown, which we predicted here last week. I said uh, I predicted they'd after losing Game Five, they'd uh, win Game Six in Atlanta, then lose Game Seven. Let's go back. I mean, did you catch uh, jumping away from the Bucks for now, Daz? And we'll come back to that Bucks Nets as well. Did you catch the game five of the? Uh, because when we left it last week, the Hawks were two uh, one down, and we kind of felt like you know that series was going to go probably four games, sorry five games, with Philly, and then Philly blew back to back games where they had twenty point leads, including a stunning game five collapse at home. I'd seen, yeah. I mean, I, didn't we talk about it last time? I for, I lose track of time here, Daz, but. We that game five is on the pod. We didn't pod, did we? Yeah. So I'd, I'd never seen anything like game five. I'd, I'd never seen anything quite like it where the crowd was nervous and the crowd was like 20,000 nervous people channeling all their nervous energy into Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris who couldn't think, couldn't breathe, couldn't dribble, couldn't pass short armed, couldn't shoot. And the, it was it was a, one of those rare moments in sports where an entire team takes on this nervous energy, starts to lose its confidence, and nobody could pull him out of it. Doc certainly couldn't pull him out of it. And Bede was running out of gas. Neither Simmons or Harris wanted to touch the ball. And Barr, an occasional, I forget, was it Landry Shamet or a Tyrese Maxey? I forget who was playing, but... Or Seth Curry, right? It's like well, Seth Curry. That no one scored. No one hit a field goal in the second half, other than Seth Curry or Embiid. And I was waiting. I, I was waiting for Tobias <laughs> Harris to request them to start playing Sweet Home Chicago, so he could find a trapdoor, a la Jake and Elwood Blues and the Blues Brothers, and make his way out of the arena because he just did not want to just... be there. Does. You wanted, to, yeah, you wanted the, just some a hole in the earth to open up and just gobble the entire franchise. But yeah, so it's, game five was, uh, yeah. So as a Bucks fan losing today, it can't feel anything like what happened in game five and in game seven in Philadelphia. Just unbelievable. Because well, I said to you after that game, I said, you watch. I said Philly are winning Atlanta. I said then they'll go home and do the exact same thing in game seven, and and they didn't blow a big lead in game seven, but. From the and I think Zach Lowe said this, and I shared his view. From the first minute of Game Seven, you could just tell Philly are going to lose this game because it was the, <laughs> it was just the carbon copy of Game Five. The crowd were nervous. You know, Tobias Harris wanted no part of the game. Uh, Simmons, Ben Simmons. I mean, he shot th- shot the ball three times in the in the fourth quarter across the entire series. Seven, yeah. <laughs> And he did and was not a... take a shot from game three onwards in the fourth quarter. <laughs> it's pretty, it was pretty remarkable. Including passing up a dunk, uh, which yeah, we caught him out for after the game. Yeah, his um, head was almost in the net, and he dished it across the 
lane to a streaking Matisse Tybal, who proceeded to draw a foul, yeah? And made so one of two. It made one of two, that's right. So I think that's perhaps, you know, because he's now a little bit in the rearview mirror, the Philly collapse is, was well well understood. Um, and if all those years of losing created a process that gave you an ex, an oft-injured uh injured giant center and Joel Embiid and, and Ben Simmons. Is that what you have to show for the process? Oh boy. Well, we've spoken about it a number of times. I mean, I think the biggest problem with the process was they allowed guys to coast. They, they turned a blind eye to bad habits. You know, they allowed those habits to fester and things like, you know, Simmons not working on his game to the level that he should. Um, Embiid not looking after his health the way that he should. Um, you know, Fultz going away and trying to remake his jump shot outside of the, the control of the coaching there. You know, what happened to Carter Williams, who, who obviously was a good uh, prospect when he first came into the league? Yeah. And all the yeah. bad habits that he developed over time. Um, you know, it, it's, it's going to be fascinating if Ben Simmons has talked that he's going to go to Orlando. That seems to be the landing spot of all these guys uh, in the end because Fultz is there now. Carter Williams had a cup of coffee there as well. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it, it's. I, I think it's, it, it's sort of, you can do the process, but you can't allow people to cut corners, you know, and that's what we're seeing in, in Phoenix of all places. And I think Chris Paul came into that franchise at the right time because I, I sort of saw some of the same habits starting to develop um, in that franchise, although, you know, maybe what they did in the bubble started their renaissance um, that we've seen this year. Yeah, for sure. It's that's a great... It's like the the blessing and the curse of a really good dude like Brett Brown. It's like he's the perfect personality and the perfect sort of that steady... Gentle's not the right word, but you know, steady, friendly, um, thoughtful coach through all that losing will keep the young guys together. And you know, it, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. But you do wonder, to your point, would they have been better off with a, you know, a more Steve Cliffordy or Dave Yeagery or some, you know, a little more of a an intense styled coach to instill. Or even like what Kenny Atkinson did in Brooklyn, right? So you almost see like some of the legacy of this is this team. That might be a bridge too far, you know, when you have players like KD and Harden coming in. But you just feel a culture in the Nets organization, don't you, that was established, you know, with really good work habits and um, and not lottery picks, right? That's the other thing, Daz, is when you have a prima donna like Ben Simmons, who's paid like this and paid max contract and fancies himself a celebrity and fancies himself an all-star and, you know, has a bit of that attitude where he just wants to be treated like he's Luka Doncic. Um, that's what habits, you know, that's when you've got a, a locker rooms and cultures that cater for the stars and don't cater for anybody else. And it's hard not to make comparisons to that, to that Brooklyn team. Right. Well, um, I think part of it too was they didn't have any veterans on the roster. And that was, I mean, they ended up having to sign Elton Brand uh, at one stage. Um, you know, who was beyond, I think he was like 37. There was no way he was going to take the court, but it was more about just getting some sort of veteran presence within that locker room because it can't all just come down to the case. Yeah. yeah, true. Very true. Yeah, I mean, the Nets had Jared Dudley for a number of years. Um, Phoenix had Tyson Chandler. Uh, you know, there, there's been some of these veteran guys that have passed through these places as well as some of the coaching etc um, that have helped set some of the the right attitudes in place uh, and you know to be fair to the Phoenix they got rid of some of the head cases out of there um, like the, the Josh Jacksons and the Marquise Chris sort type players yeah, probably yeah. the best best fit um, within their franchise as well yeah, so they, yeah. they did start a real genuine um, change of culture that you never saw in Philly. It was just, it was Embiid's team. And you said this a number of times. I mean, you've seen what sort of culture you're going to get when you say, well, this is Joel Embiid's team, because this is a guy that, that wasn't the hardest worker. I mean, he got himself in the shape this year, but that's probably the first year in his career that he's actually been in proper basketball shape um, going into a season. Yeah, and it's like, that's not really a team 
it's Doc Rivers who's good at catering to his stars. And, you know, I don't, I, you know, if you're Tyrese Maxey, do you really feel, you know, that you're part of the team and you've got, again, just rules that feel different for your stars and does for everybody else. Um, and that's one, one thing where you completely draw a complete contrast to Doc Rivers year one in Philadelphia is done exactly what to change the culture there. Nothing made it worse. And versus Monty Williams year one in his job, right. Came in and instantaneously transformed that team. And look what he's done with the development that Deandre Ayton shown in one year compared to the development of Ben Simmons, right. Development of Mikhail Bridges, the, the utilization of, uh, you know, role player, like, like Tory Craig, it's like, you and I've talked about this before, just, it's clearly a, there's a huge coaching and structural difference between, uh, and I loved your contrast now that you're making me think about it, the contrasting styles between what year one Monty Williams has done with year one um, Doc Rivers has done for two teams who basically finished the same record, right? With the same types of aspirations heading into the, uh, you know, um, probably heading into the preseason. Many of you <laughs> underestimated the Suns, um, but now we see how Philadelphia capitulated and it's just, I think the spotlight, if it doesn't shine very, very brightly on Doc Rivers will very, very quickly shine on him as well. So I think the spotlight number one's on Ben Simmons spotlight. Number two is on Daryl Morey to completely to save the, this process. And I think we, we won't be two months into the season days and we'll be talking about Doc Rivers if that team doesn't show something different. So early, early hot seat call Doc Rivers. I think well, Daryl Moore is going to have short patience, very short the, patience. The process is dead. I, I think Ben Simmons has played his last game in Philly. Uh, you know, there's talk of, there's actually talk of the Spurs, like a, a sign and trade with the Rose and for, for Ben Simmons and, you know, maybe something else. But I mean, that might tell you too how far Ben Simmons' um, trade value has fallen when trades like that are being talked about and, um, and not sort of being laughed out of town. Uh, not not to bag the Rosen too much, but certainly the Rosen's are a level below what I think where most people would have thought Ben Simmons was. Uh, you know, yeah. the Rosen's all the yeah. NBA days are behind him uh, at this point in his career. Uh, but, you know, probably a better fit in terms of what Philly are trying to do at this stage than what Ben Simmons has been. And I think you saw too, with Thibault and Simmons, you got two excellent perimeter defenders but just two non-factors at all on the offensive end. And it was so hard for Philly in those games when you had two players out of the five just not not wanting to get the ball uh, and, and not being able to do anything with it, with it in the rare times they did get it. So I know. tend to I tend to be in the camp of that because Ben Simmons is still such a physical talent, I think I would still fall in the camp of um, if someone has the foresight to put him in a role where he's not the point guard and not the shooting guard, right? Is how do you put him in a Draymond-like role, secondary playmaker, right? But I go, he would need the ego to do that. That's right. So I think I, I don't know if he has that, but I think he—that's the type of thing that's going to have to happen for the franchise to want to talk themselves into a Simmons. Is can you have a coach? and a philosophy who can unlock him at his best, um, which probably is not as the guy up top. It's almost certainly not the guy initiating the offense. He's not Giannis with the handle and the skill and the motor to get to the rack. He just isn't. Well, He's they, not, they, all they've got to do yeah. is foul him in the backcourt anyway, which, I mean, he got the ball once on a possible fast break in Game 7, and they just fouled him straight away. And he went to the line, made one of two, and Doc quickly had to take him out. Yeah, well, that's it. So, I, but his confidence is shattered. Oh, right. Yeah. His confidence is absolutely shattered. So it's he needs to. I think he and his agent will probably work harder than anyone to find an environment where he can just feel good again, right? And and relearn what great feels like. And I I w- it wouldn't shock me at all for him to have a resurrection and have end up having it. You know. An, a triple double like season and, and not an empty calories, Russ type season. That's one thing you will say about Ben Simmons. He's not going to go four for 21, right? I know there's people who wish he would shoot 21 times. But I go, guess what? It's still probably better off having the guy go six for nine from the field, right? But as long as he has 12 rebounds, 
12 assists and plays elite defense, you can handle a guy, mm. right? That's a perfect number two, a facilitator. So that's the other thing is you start, you start squinting and scratching your brain about what types of teams with the salaries, with matching salary that delivers value to Philly that perhaps could unlock Ben's mentality and put him in a secondary role. Oh, my goodness, Daz, that list starts to shrink down to very, very, very few teams, right? And part of you starts to go, gosh, is that, is that uniquely next to Dane Lillard, right? That's the easy one. Mm. It does make sense on a, for a hundred reasons, smaller market, an extraordinary leader like Dane will wrap his arm around him. He doesn't have to have the ball in his hands. Um, he can play the super Covington role. Um, you know, now he got spacing issues there with Nurkic. If he's still part of their future, he got, he got some clogged toilets happening there, but that type of environment where he can be a, a secondary guy and get the ball out of his hands. I don't know. Do you have, can you think of any off the top of your head? Have you thought of where fits for Ben might be? Well, the McCollum like one. Of- yeah, the McCollum one in in Portland's so the, the 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 obvious one. Um, but again, you know, I I wonder if there's enough shooting in Portland um, to worry him. You you've got a team like Orlando, of course, where he can just go and be the star and sort of run the show there. But what have Orlando got to offer for him? Because I don't think uh, Philly would be too interested in getting draft picks at this stage. No, they need win now players. They need a They'd want Zach Levine, but it's a terrible fit in Chicago with Kobe White and Patrick Williams. That's a that's a that's a hot that's a hot garbage fire for Ben Simmons in Chicago. That's a dreadful fit. Yeah. So San Antonio, I mean, you could, you San could Antonio, talk yourself into from the point of view they got Chip England. They they back they back themselves to develop his game, but I I don't think his personality is going to fit in with what they want to do. I don't think. Kobe, well, you're not trading. You're not trading Dejounte. You're not trading Dejounte to, and they got to Philly. Then they got Dejounte and him in the backcourt. Like, oh, mm. that's not a good fit either. Anyway, it's it's really hard to find fits. It's really hard. Um, well, I think the maybe be... the only one that, yeah, sorry, my only last one was the something like D'Angelo Russell, plus something. You know, put Ben next to Carl Anthony Towns, um, get some shooting in Philadelphia. You know, and Russell, so two two of our favorite players. Yeah, you know, maybe there's a three-way with Wiggins. I don't, I don't know. Not sure. But I know Carl Lair Anthony. Gonna, gonna get how Princess Leia will go <laughs> in uh, in Philly. Um, so, does look. Let's just jump over. Use that as a segue. Looking at the the Suns. Um, you know, I've been high on the Suns. I wasn't high on the Suns before the season, but uh, midway through the season, they won me over. And they're showing it so far in the Western Conference Finals. Like, you know, they're up, they're, they just go so deep and guys can come out and you've got Saric playing big minutes. You know, campaign scores nearly 30 points in Game 2 of the Western Conference Finals Crazy. when Booker didn't have it going. Uh, so they, the, the loss of Chris Paul just hasn't hurt them as much. Cam Johnson comes on after not really shooting well or plus. He hits five shots, um, five key shots in that game because I think Bridges wasn't shooting as well and things like that. Aiton's probably been outside of Embiid, um, and, and if you don't want to call Giannis a big man, Aiton's probably been the, the second best big man in the playoffs so far which has been a massive improvement for him. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's it's forcing, like, and look at the look at the contrast as, in, in the previous series, the Clippers went small, right? They And they had Zubac, wasn't playing much at all. DeMarcus Cousins was an afterthought. And I said this to you, leading in the Western Conference Finals, I said, if the Clippers think they can go small against Aiton, they'll pay. Like, Aiton's good enough. He's going to make them pay for it. And what's happened after game one, they automatically had to go back to Zubac, who, to be fair to him, played well in game two. But they're not able to get away with that sort of small ball stuff in the larger portions that they did against Utah in the previous series simply because Aiton was playing so well. And it was interesting that that play, before I throw back to you, the, the, the game-winning dunk in game two... Because that, that's where you saw who the hardcore NBA fans were. Because not only did the hardcore NBA fans know that that wasn't a goaltend, 
when Jay Crowther throws the ball up at the rim. They remembered the play and were probably half ready for it because, of course, it was Phoenix and Tyson Chandler who I mentioned earlier when Jay Triano was there. He <clears throat> pulled that play out of their backsides in a random game in March um, that didn't really mean anything. And I think there was 0.1 of a second left or something ridiculous in that game. Um, but I, when that happened, I was half ready for Crowder to do that and thinking back to that Tyson Chandler one and that is exactly the play that he pulled off. I wasn't as plugged in. I was looking for the quick... I was, of course, like the rest of the world, staring at Devin Booker, right? So I, I was caught off guard, uh, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, that, to your point about Aiton, though, is, and we've, we've talked about him pretty consistently throughout the year, and it feels good to kind of get one right, where we just knew, we just knew his match with Chris Paul was genius, and it's proven to be true. We've talked about before, Monty Williams and the structural uh, ask of his players are so specific and so well-defined. He just, he's almost coached bad games. He almost can't have a bad game, right? You're just not going to see DeAndre and go again, four for 17. It's almost not possible. Mm. So he's going for four for 17. It probably meant he's doing things he's not supposed to do like shooting threes or trying to shoot over double teams or, right got getting the ball in his spots or trying to you know shoot over his left shoulder fadeaways from the right box none of those things are happening he's always getting the ball when he where he needs it in that little pocket passes so many just delayed little actions off of back screens and like alley-oops and stuff and and he just sometimes the the offense will clog and he'll get the ball and he'll face up and just delightfully drop in a 16 footer won't he? he's got a really nice touch so you're i don't know if i'd put him as the best big man you know because remember Jokic did play in these playoffs but you know he has been certainly one of the most pleasant surprises of these young guys right the young guys in the luca draft you know where you just like you just love seeing this leap where young players just don't have these moments in the playoffs aren't too big for them that's well, I think he played Jokic to a draw. I mean, like, they swept the Nuggets, and I understand Jokic has got a much bigger role than what Aiton does. But I thought, from the point of view of what Aiton needed to do in that series, I thought he played Jokic to a draw. Uh, but I, I do take your point. I think it's it's fair to say Jokic, uh, role obviously more important and much bigger role than, um, than, than Aiton in that team. Another point I'd make on Phoenix is, you can tell when a team's locked in and when they're just... And, and this is what the Bucks aren't at the moment. The Bucks are not locked in to anything. And they were, even in the net series, Daz, I never quite got the sense that the Bucks are really locked into this thing and and minds on the job the whole time, the way you need oh. to be. And the reason I say that is with, with the Suns, like Devin Booker gets hit in the nose in game two. He has to go out. Like, straight away, they don't... Like, Monty Williams doesn't say, you know what, I'm going to go with seven guys, not six guys. He goes, all right, each one more. You come in, you you give us some spot minutes, right? And each one more didn't light it up or anything, but he didn't suck, right? He didn't he didn't go out there and cost them points. Whereas you can see with the Bucks, the Bucks had to go to a six-man rotation, all booth against a very good Nets team. But it's like... Guys come in and they just they don't look ready to play or they're just automatically found out. Now maybe that's just the fact that the the Suns have got a better bench than the Bucks and the Bucks just consistently does make mental errors. You know, even in Game mm. Seven against the Nets, they got a, a three on one break and Middleton just dribbles the ball off his boot, and then Harden picks yeah. it up, finds Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant dunks it rather than just let him dunk it. Pat Connaughton fouls him. So you got like the five-point turnaround in a game that was always going to go right down to the wire. They're the sort of little mental errors that continually creep into the Bucks game, which I don't see from the Suns. I mean, if you're going to beat the Suns, you're going to have to outplay Agreed. Them, you know? And, I mean, look, look at this team, Daz. They've lost two games in the entire playoffs so far. They're 10-2, and two and, they lost, and both of those were against the Lakers. I think it's fair to say that structurally, and I keep going back to structure, is that the team like the Bucks just aren't structurally built to endure the loss of one of the big three, 
right? Because what will happen is, whereas Chris Paul goes out, they just structurally slot campaign and they're expecting to do Chris Paul's job, right? The Bucks lose a guy and they have to completely rechange roles on their offense, right? And why is that? Because they do so much ISO. They do so much ISO. Uh, the stats I've been seeing, there's, um, I don't have it in front of me, but the fewest passes per possession in the playoffs since 2003 or something like that, over the Bucks against um, the Bucks in 2021, they've been playing uh, uh, ISO heavy ball um, since the playoffs tipped off. Daz, and I don't why. It's why worked. Does. I, well, it, it it's worked, but I I think they're winning despite that. I don't because what they're they're hunting they're hunting they're hunting matchups, right? That's what they're doing, and they're hunting matchups with their best three players because again, think about where they've come from. Is they I'm oversimplifying, but to make the point here is so much offense in the years past going through expected of the likes of Brogdon or George Hill or Eric Bledsoe or Nico Meritich or, 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 right. You just, so much has been expected amongst players that weren't named Giannis and Middleton because Giannis couldn't break through the wall and Middleton, you know, wasn't asked to do nearly as much as he is now fast forward 12 months. Right. And they said, we need to be much more top heavy, you know, not heliocentric, but triple heliocentric with, with Giannis Middleton and drew. And you've seen it play out, right? Is that your best players are making all the plays. But what that means is the actions are much simpler. The actions are faster. And if they do a quick pick and roll and it, they try to chuck it out to Bryn Forbes and that, that three's taken away, that goes, that ball goes right back into Giannis's hands with 15 seconds in the shot clock. And he goes to work. Similar, you do the one action. Chris has got the ball. They do a pick and roll up top. He's going to shoot that three if he gets some space, or drive to the mid range and take it. Like, he, or you know, he's going to pass it to Giannis, who's who's roll man. Very very simple actions with their best players. And I go, I kind of have to go, hey hey Daz, hey hey NBA world. For as much as we criticize Bud and the Bucks for having, you know, not playing Giannis 45 minutes letting Bledsoe and the George Hills of the world and Kyle Corvers and, you know, fill in the blank Flotsam and Jetson veterans, ask them to do too much. You can't criticize them for being, you know, top heavy. Now we just can't, it's just who they are now. This is their personality. I'm not defending it. I'm not saying it's going to win them a title, but I'm saying they've actually changed a lot of their philosophy and their roles to make this team. And it probably is actually a better team than the last two years teams as it probably is better suited to winning the playoffs. Now, that being said, it's not, it's not pretty. It isn't, it's not artistic. It's not the old bucks run and gun and, you know, flip the ball around and it's, it's, and let the, you know, let whomever catches it, let it fly. It's, it's not, it does stick more. Um, it does stick in Drew's hands and he'll pound his big ass into the paint. It does stick in Middleton's hands and he'll slither and slide his way to a 17 footer, but it's winning. And that's, again, I'm going to ladder back out. If they do beat Atlanta, boy, will it be fun to study in contrasts, right? Between Phoenix and, and the Bucks. It will be a fast, that's actually going to be a fast ending matchup if it does get that far. Well, I, that Sorry, is, that was a long riff about the Bucks again. But Well, I think it's fair. You see my point, though. Yeah. I, I think that's where it's headed. I mean, as I said, I, I still think the Bucks will, will take care of Atlanta. Um, I think the Suns, Chris Paul's back for game three. Still no word on Kawhi Leonard. Uh, who knee sprain, but then it's maybe an ACL tweak, so we're not quite sure what's happening there. I mean, there's certainly he's a... listed as out for game three. They're just kind of, I think they're giving no medical diagnosis. It's just he is listed as out though for the next game. Yeah, I think, and then Kawhi would be a bit gun shy as well, uh, given what happened last time he sort of came back maybe a touch early from an injury and Zaza got underneath him and. And that was pretty much the last game he yeah, played in the Spurs. Yeah. So, um, so, so I certainly understand that. Um, and and to be fair to the Clippers, they haven't played poorly at all. I mean, they're, they're still well in this series. Uh, they could have easily taken either game one or two uh, in, in the Western Conference Finals after finishing off Utah to the to everyone's surprise. Uh, They've been down 2-0 in both rounds, Daz. And I think we, we both have to eat our kind of eat our hats about them, the the team are the most likely to fold their tents. Boy, they've been the opposite. Well, so, to their George credit, they I mean, fight. he missed a couple of free throws in game two, but um, gee, you, I think you'd be pretty harsh. They're fighting. To be, yeah. be criticised, Paul George, after what he did in game five in Utah, 
game six, he was outstanding. Although, you know, Terence Mann getting 39 points, it was a few sort of fluky things, I think, that sure. happened in game six. But, you know, you've got to put yourself in that position where you can you can make some yeah. shots um, and win the game. And, and Utah weren't able to, to sort of make the adjustments they needed to make in that series. So questions for them yeah. in the off-season about <sighs> Gobert yeah. and, and other things. I, look, quickly on Utah, I wouldn't be... I wouldn't overreact and panic about that. I mean, you've got the one seed. Look, it, it happens, you know. They they really lost. Yeah. That game five is the one they need to look back on. Um, uh, the, the game six was a fluke. And, and games three and four with the, the Clippers with Kawhi, they're, they're a great team. Like, you know, they, there's no great shame in losing them once. You know, Donovan Mitchell wasn't right. Conley wasn't, uh, should, probably shouldn't have played in game six. So yeah, I, I wouldn't wouldn't panic if I was if I was the Jazz. I, I'd block out the noise and, yeah. and seriously consider running it back and maybe looking at you know the 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 fact that they couldn't play Derek Favors hurt them as much as what what was happening with Gobert. So maybe that's the area that they need to look at and say, can we go to a small ball lineup? Um, you know, in, in spot minutes at the very least, um, with Gobert not out there. And have someone that can that can sort of play that. And I, I said to you, even like a guy like Rudy Gay, and probably Rudy Gay from two years ago, would have been perfect for them to be able to bring on just someone that can, you know, give you. You're not totally giving up your rebounding things like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he yeah. can sort of get out in the perimeter. So, but that's so. But do you see? I mean, in terms of the Western Conference Finals, and you can give your opinion on Utah as well if you like. Do you see that the the Phoenix are sort of certainly in the box seat now, particularly with Paul coming back? Well, they just said they got a lot of room for error now, right? They do. Um, uh, obviously, being up two zero and no Kawhi, so it's they're absolutely in the driver's seat. But I, L- LA has impressed me though, right? They've they just they show a lot of fight and they don't quit. So and that's a team who led the NBA in three point percentage this year, right? So they can get hot. And um, Phoenix does have, you know, you just you could see guys like you know the Bridgeses and and Bookers of the world who don't have a ton of playoff experience. Um, we'll see if the it's possible the moments become too big for them, or if they start playing loose, or if you know Chris Paul has to come out of a lineup or something. I can see a situation where the Clippers stick around for a while, uh, but certainly my money's not on on LA. No, it isn't. They have to be on Phoenix. Um, well, I think uh, the thing I'd say too about the Clippers, Ty Lue's a player's coach, and you, the one yeah. thing you know with Ty Lue, them players are going to give their all, and they're going to want to, yeah, want to play for the coach and play for each other, and that's been the one thing you know, I think he's bought along with obviously the X's and those side of it, um, but that that's yeah me, for sure one skill as a coach, which that's not a tight team, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think that's Phoenix in the driver's seat. Chris Paul's back. Kawhi is not. That's pretty hard to bet against, you know, Phoenix in that situation for sure. And then I just think the poor Utah's in that situation where, you know, they're kind of the damned if you do, damned if you don't um, situation with their, you know, their max player in in Gobert. You know, um, you know, the, I know the Bucks were in that situation as they kind of had no choice but to sign Middleton, which was a a no-brainer on on most levels, and obviously that's worked out, you know, brilliantly, you know, so far the first couple of years of that contract. But I think it's be, it'd be hard to argue that it's worked out well for Gobert in Utah, where it, man, it's just going to be more and more of a conversation around the league. Is this the difference between regular season players and playoff players, Daz? And that for me is just the hard hard reality they're going to have to lean into in Utah is, is you know, you know, how do you build a playoff team with you know, your most expensive player and your leader, you know, who has just been kind of almost played off the floor in the second round, not even in like the NBA finals. Does. That's a tough, that's a tough situation. And you've got new ownership and luxury tax considerations. You don't know if they're going to pay or not. And I, that's a, I'll probably need more time to study and think about Utah, but I, I think they've got some really, really big introspection to do. Do you pay Conley? a bunch of money and go into the tax, you know, with his injury history and go way into the tax with Conley. Do you let him go? If you let him go, you got no, you know, no cap space to sign someone with that talent level. So it's just, 
a lot of big questions. Do you have to move on from Clarkson or Ingles to free up some money? You know, and both those guys playing really critical roles on that team. Favors doesn't have a great contract. Royce O'Neal's the only great wing defender. So uh, as I just wander around that at, around that roster, <laughs> it hurts my brain. That, that team's got a lot of different directions they could go and a lot of big questions to ask. And um, knowing Utah, they'll probably do very little. <laughs> and, I don't think they'll just, do much. I mean, they, they've certainly yeah. missed a few in the draft. That, that's been a killer for them. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you look at some of the players um, that they could have gotten in, in the draft. And, you know, they, they've, like, who was the last guy after Mitchell that they've drafted that's contributed to that team? Yeah, we don't know. Yeah, yeah that's so, right. Yeah. That, that's the problem, I think. And they've consistently drafted big men over the years. Um, as well, they drafted the big guy in the, the center in the last draft. They turned yeah. badly as well. So, yeah. kind of, you're, you're looking for those wing type players, and they and they just seem to consistently um, overlook them. So, you know, even a guy like Taylor Horton Tucker would have been a, a handy guy for them to have when you look at what he did with the Lakers this year. So, yeah, you know, yeah. There, there's guys out there, but you've got to get the draft right, and that's that's the difference. And we've said it how many times, you know, with the Draymond Greens and the Yokeches and the um, the Brogdons, that they're the ones that can really push you over the top if you get it right. Um, well, you know, Mitchell and Gilbert were, what, 13 and 25 or something like that, so they weren't exactly... You know, top picks, but yeah, you know, no, they've they've, yeah. they've done some really good drafting yeah. and they've done some really poor drafting. Yeah, yeah, so, um, yeah, yeah. But that's so tough, tough off season for them. Really tough off season. I think Phillies is pretty cut and dry. Is how do you get rid of Ben Simmons? But I think Utah's got a lot of different scenarios to play out. And that first one is what do you do with Cumley? Because that will affect kind of that will that, that will give them a sense of where is their luxury tax appetite under the new ownership, um, and they'll get a sense for how that team might think about competing deep in the playoffs if they decide to go without Mike Conley is how, how the heck do you do that? Mm. Can you fill 70% of his role for, you know, a fraction of the cost? But um, that I think will be the, where the dominoes and fall for that team, but not an easy choice. Well, let's, let's finish up Daz by talking about the draft. We were just talking about that in the Utah context. We had the draft lottery. Um, what was your sort of any, anything that jumped out? I mean, it, it felt to me watching it, it all sort of went, there, there wasn't any major sort of jumps, I guess. The big story might be the Raptors, uh, whether they can sort of manage a quick turnaround. And maybe yeah, they, they were the biggest risers, right? So it was, just to recap, right? Detroit only moved up one spot, and they got the number one. Houston only dropped down one. Cleveland, a modest, you know, two-spot jump from, from four to two, and then Toronto with the three-spot jump from seven to four. So they're clearly the big winner in what sounds like a four or five person type of draft. Um, Orlando mercifully <laughs> get the number five pick, which will, who knows what they'll do with that. But um, Well, they also get eight for the Vujovic trade. Oh my goodness, that's right. So they got five and eight. Um, so man, he could re- reshape a franchise rapidly in one draft, couldn't they? Um, well, that's right. I mean, and it is a very deep draft. I mean, then I've, some of the mock drafts are sort of floating around. I'm seeing guys turn up at five in one and then turn up at 15 in the next. So that yeah. sort of shows you the level of, um, yeah, there, there is some real disagreement on a lot of the mocks. I've not seen any of the mocks other than the sort of top four seem to always be the same. But outside of that, it's, it's very liquid. So it's yeah. going to be very interesting to see. I think you're going to see a few teams draft down, oh, sorry, trade down in the draft. I think Cleveland's a, a classic example of a team that might trade down, say, so let's see if we can get two picks for one top. Mm. Um, or a veteran in a, in a pick, yeah. Mm, yeah. That's right. So that, that's the sort of movement, I think. And you've seen that in the NFL for years. And I think the NBA teams are starting to sort of get their heads around that sort of movement as well because you haven't seen as much movement um, well, trading down. In well, the first place you look is that it's just Oklahoma City. There's, they've got six picks. <laughs> number six, number 16, and number 18. Three of the top 18. Then they got 34, 36, and 55. I mean, six of the, or five of the first 36 players will, they go, their rosters aren't big enough. So what are you going to do? Are they going to sell second round picks for cash? Which would be a rarity, you know, but although, but they're going to try to package them to move up again. They try to package all three of them to get to the number one slot. You know, mm. imagine that Detroit trading down and getting, you know, whatever, what is it, six, sixteen, and eighteen for number one? Like that's probably be 
probably not enough to get the number one pick, but yeah, I think Oklahoma City is going to be really interesting to see how they how Presti. Well, for many years ahead with the man of the draft, I think they got like thirty five draft picks um, stashed away or something. That so, it's something. It's it's ridiculous. And obviously, yeah, it's, you're not it's going to make all those number. picks. So um, they're they're certainly going to be a team to watch not just this year but every year around draft time before they uh, they make the big moves. Well, I was going. Um, so that was that for me is interesting. Point number one is that. Top stayed most of the same. No dramatic, freakish, you know, you didn't have like a two percenter moving up to the tops. It kind of stayed mostly the same. Um, good on Toronto, I guess, F them. Um, obviously, the other news is that the Minnesota pick goes to Golden, Golden State. Seven, yeah. So that, that was only protected one through three. So um, the Golden State now has number seven and number 14, which is, you know, can, that can turn that franchise's fate around quickly to give Steph some weapons. You know, in his kind of his uh, final years of his prime here, that'll be interesting to see what what they do. And then for me, kind of laddering back out again is like my, you know, um, just wishing the Eastern Conference would would someday catch up even close to the Western Conference. And this is a year where it's got a shot where um, four of the top five picks are with the East, right? Detroit, Cleveland, Toronto, Orlando, all picking the top five, and you know, East having bypassed or missed out on you know the Jaw, the Luca. You know, the Zion, um, that crowd having, you know, franchises completely transformed the stars there, whilst, you know, the likes of Washington and Detroit and Orlando and Cleveland and, you know, Charlotte just muddle and spin their wheels and never buddy hit, never move up way in the draft and never hit on anything. So here's a chance where you've got, you know, four teams there in the top five in the East who, you know, got a chance to move, you know, um, change the shape or guess change a bit of the competitiveness of the, of the conference does. So I'm kind of secretly hoping for them to hit on their picks is what I'm trying to say. Well, Charlotte did have the rookie of the year in Lamella ball this year. So at least, uh, you'll, you'll a fair. So yeah, fair. That's true. Something there. Yeah. All right. There's, we'll, we'll leave it there for tonight, mate. We, we didn't even get to the Kemba Walker trade, but, uh, certainly we can, we can do that once we sort of start looking into the off season. Um, and, uh, and make a what's the guy's name that was the Celtics new head coach? Uh, Udoko. Udoko. Udoko from um, yeah. the Spurs. Well, he was yeah. formerly of the Spurs. He won with the Spurs this year. He's the pop tree for sure. He's at seven years, I think. He was there. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, yeah so that's um, that that's an interesting signing as well. So did, plenty of change on that, here in Boston. Did, yeah, it's a great change for Boston. That, um, did you see the the famous tweet that went? I'll just be the final comment. <laughs> Did you see Jay Williams? I'll give Jay Williams. I think he was hacked. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. No way. It's such a. It would be such a dumb. Like the guy's paid to do NBA analysis. Like, you know, some of the Celtics' most famous coaches have been black. So that's a, just a weird. You would have to me. be the most boring hacker in the history of hackers <laughs> to go to all that work to hack a public figure's account to say something so benign. Right, like, oh, sorry. Jerry Colangelo had burners accounts. Jay Williams just got a bit excited, sent a tweet, and went off to, you know, play, you know, probably took a shower and came back and said, oh, no. Casey Jones. Oh, shit. Well, Casey Bill Russell. Jones, Doc Rivers, Bill Russell. Like, even I, the first one I thought of was Casey. I didn't even think about Doc. And I'm like, I'm a kid of the 70s and 80s. Like, I remember Casey Jones. Well, I remember coaching. Casey Jones as well. Yeah. But, like, the three coaches that I would remember, as well as obviously Red Allback, <laughs> would, would be black coaches. <laughs> I know. Which is almost ironic. I, I couldn't think of three black Bucks coaches, that's for sure. <laughs> so, but I certainly think of the Celtics ones. Like, maybe the most famous black coaches are from Boston. So, so, uh, so come, I, it was funny. It's funny. I'm like, come on, Jay, just say I'm sorry. My brain snap, everyone. Sorry, embarrassed. Well, it's funny though, you know. The just amount say of, sorry. Even the amount of people does like we assume these NBA guys know so much about the NBA, and yet the amount that they even didn't know about that goaltending rule, despite the fact that Phoenix ran the exact same play only probably three seasons ago, was absolutely stunning to me. The guys that were saying I didn't know that rule. Bunch of, bunch of casuals, Daz. You know, everyone's got hot takes, and no one's actually watching. I think you know when Bill Simmons, we know, isn't watching the games anymore. You can probably bet the the amount of national writers who've gone cash are probably quite extreme. Um, 
But look, if, if they're, I'm going to give everyone a benefit of the doubt today because my, my Bucks are in the Eastern Conference Finals. It's their best team they've had in this run by a long shot. This team would have killed last year's team. And then they're playing the Hawks, Daz. Like, really? <laughs> it's just, like, as nervous as I was against Brooklyn, I was like, yeah, if they lose this series, that would be, like, so classic Bucks, right? Just if they win it, yeah, okay, all right. You beat the Hawks. So it's just, I'll give the writers credit. I, I'll be honest. I hate the bashing of the cities of you see, bashing Milwaukee and bashing Phoenix and stuff like that. I just, I just despise that American, that very American trait, but yeah, that's the basketball ain't terribly exciting. I'll be honest. I'll be honest. But um, oh, anyway, that's not very, I've been enjoying the games. I think well, you had, you've had um, the last two games are going down. The I'm last still shot. coming off the emotional cliff of Brooklyn man and beating Harden. And I'm still, I'm, that will live on forever. There's no way we should have won that set, that game seven. You just there's no way. So well, I'm still kind I of in, I still can't believe we beat the we won. I've seen you know. that game. I've been watching the NBA for over thirty years. I've seen that version of that game at least twenty times, and the Bucks never win. Yeah. No, of course they don't. You never win that game because the officiating is against you. The bounce of the balls against you. Like Joe Harris can't make a shot. He hits the front of the rim. Bounces right up, hits the back of the rim, and falls through. Harden hits a bank shot on on the from from Nelly yeah. from the corner three from the Tatum spot. Yeah, <laughs> so he hits a bank three. As I said, you can't get a call the entire game like a home whistle for the Nets. Uh, every bounce of the ball, like Drew Holiday, can't make a shot for the for the almost entire game. And Kevin Durant's doing Kevin Durant things. That's yeah. right. And then Durant puts his toe on the line. And it all changes. And even, but even in in overtime, you're like the Bucks didn't score for the first three and a half minutes of overtime, and they just yeah, they almost didn't score for six total minutes. But yeah. you know, the they end of regulation and over the line, like the effort it took, grueling from grueling both of those teams. To be fair, yeah, but it was extraordinary. Yeah, dug so deep to stay in that game when, yeah. to when it was yeah. gut check time so that that was the great part about that and that's why you know it was an emotional letdown today to watch a team just come in and basically playing Rucker you know uh, <laughs> I know good on them <laughs> sort of hoops and um, yeah the, the, I was waiting for Uncle Drew to come out at one stage and just I will have my moment if, if they if they do persevere. I will have my moment that, you know, my two favorite teams by a long shot, and Phoenix has been my number two team since the 70s. I'm even talking Alvin Adams, Calvin Nat, you know, names you've never heard of, right? In the in the late 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 70s, early 80s teams, Walter Davis. I loved watching that that team play. Um, Mo Lucas in the in the heyday. So I will I will have my moment if the Phoenix does play the Bucks in the finals, but um. But until then, um, I want to see the, the Clippers get eliminated, and I want to see this Bucks team fight the way they did against Brooklyn. Then I'll be excited, Dash. Yeah. Then I'll be excited. I promise. All right, mate. Well, we'll get the, we'll have the towels waving a bit bit harder next time, and we uh, hopefully we're we're previewing a finals between uh, Suns Bucks. Yeah, I we will, and we'll have up. I'll have more IPA. I promise. <laughs> I promise. Okay, buddy. Okay, mate. Take it easy. Good to we'll talk, talk, pal. Soon. Bye. Bye. Took the charge and there was no foul call.